Though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit upon the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail, and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet will I exalt the Lord my God. Yea, I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. This is our text, dear friends in Christ. Last Sunday morning, a member of the congregation told me a dream that she recently had, a dream that she had about our sanctuary. And her dream did what so many times dreams do. They merge remnants of unrelated mental thoughts and pictures and memories together and to some kind of odd conglomeration that's often comical. And indeed, hers was comical. It reminded me of another odd and rather comical dream that someone once had about Thanksgiving. He writes and says, there I was, it was Thanksgiving Day, and I was sitting at this large Thanksgiving table, staring at this tremendous plate of food that was sitting there in front of me, and on the plate there was turkey, and there was mashed potatoes, and its gravy, and the dressing, and the cranberries, and everything was there. And, And then I looked up. And to my utter amazement, I discovered that I was having in this dream Thanksgiving Day dinner with God. Imagine that, I thought, a fantastic way to celebrate Thanksgiving. And and then, he says, then God sneezed. And I was dumbfounded because I didn't know what to say. And I couldn't say, Gesundheit, God bless you. Because after all, it was God. And so I just sat there and I didn't know what to say, and here it was, Thanksgiving Day. And as you think about what that gentleman was encountering in that particular time and through that particular dream, it certainly is true, isn't it, how often it happens in the course of so many of our lives that we too, facing certain circumstances that we do, we don't really know perhaps what to say to God. Those times in life when things are much harder than they've been before, those Thanksgiving days that are played out in the wake of some sickness that perhaps has befallen us or someone that we love dearly or some terminal illness that's wearing away slowly at the person that we love or that Thanksgiving day that's lived in the, the shadow of the death of someone that we dearly have loved for so long and now we're without them. Or perhaps it's not something quite as dire. Perhaps we've lost our job, which is indeed dire enough. Or suddenly we find ourselves fearing a layoff that we never thought imaginable a Thanksgiving day or two ago. And how much more real that concern is on this Thanksgiving day for all too many people, not only here but throughout our country. The possibility of layoffs, economic times worse than we ever imagined they could be a Thanksgiving ago. Bear Stearns, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, Lehman Brothers, Merrill Lynch, Washington Mutual, American International Group, Citigroup, GM and Ford, financial giants, staggering, falling to their knees, failing, begging for bailouts from an old uncle named Sam, who can give nothing to a nephew without first taking from a niece, and is already spending far more than he has. There's a big menacing cloud that for many people is resting over this Thanksgiving day, wouldn't you say? 
And yet, as Jennifer Grau, writing in the San Jose Mercury News, said last Wednesday, quote, despite being told that America is experiencing its worst economic crisis since the Great Depression, you know what, she writes, the vast majority of us will still be sitting down to that most American meal, roast turkey and stuffing, cranberries and pumpkin pie. And then she reminds us, quote, we take for granted that these dishes the turkey and the stuffing, the cranberries and pie have always graced our tables at Thanksgiving, but during the Great Depression, during World War II, she says, when food or money or both were scarce, they didn't for many. But the celebration still went on, though sometimes it was with a very different menu. After all, making it through hard times is what Thanksgiving is all about. And that's the spirit American cooks took with them into their kitchen back then. And that's the spirit that all of us would take into our kitchens and into our dining rooms today. This day is not the day for God's people to be grumbling. No matter what the circumstances about us might be, this time is not the time for sinful silence of ingratitude, especially by the people of God. In fact, Scripture makes it clear that there are no days and there are no times for God's people to be thanklessly silent. That's why Luther, reflecting upon the sinful inclination of people to be ingrates, because that's what we're all inclined by our sinful nature to be, ingrates, unthankful for all that we do have. But despite that, he reminds us of the Israelites of old, and he tells us this is exactly what happened to the Israelites of old, and don't be like them, he says. While they were in bondage in Egypt, they complained, and they wept all the time they were there in Egypt. But then what happened thereafter? Hardly three days of deliverance in the wilderness had passed, and they wished they were back in Egypt again. Such a wretched thing is a man's ungrateful heart, Luther said. And then he quotes a neat little Latin phrase which translated means nothing ages more quickly than gratitude. These days for us too are certainly not days in which we as the people of God should be ungrateful. These especially are those days when God's people should even be more aware of the blessings that we have, the blessings that for so long have been ours, blessings enjoyed for so long that we perhaps do at times because they're so common and ordinary, we do take them for granted. The easier times of easier things in previous years and times like these that we're confronting even now are days in which we're reminded of the blessings that God gives, and so he even works good through that. Remember those famous reproductions of the great American artist Norman Rockwell a number of years ago? He died 30 years ago this month. Norman Rockwell that master of illustration that so often had his illustrations at the front page of the Saturday Evening Post. Remember Rockwell's famous Thanksgiving Day illustration? The grandmother standing there and she's placing this beautiful turkey upon a white tablecloth. Grandpa with an approving look on his face waits to demonstrate his skill with the carving knife and there's a twinkle in everybody's eye, laughter in their eyes, smiles on their faces, three generations gathered there together, and his simple picture for Thanksgiving Day, many of you remember, says far more than a thousand words could, because it captures so much of what is real and that for which we should be most thankful. It's Thanksgiving. 
It's a time to celebrate the bounty with which Almighty God has so richly blessed us in this land. Interestingly, what you don't see in that famous illustration by Rockwell, it was completed and it was presented by Rockwell in the years down the corner of the page, 1943. The canvas was painted at a time when the rationing of World War II was well in force when so many things were so scarce, a fact that must have made that illustration all the more effective in that year of scarcity. Even when times are hard, even when ordinary things were rationed, even then there was reason for the giving of thanks because it's so often the case that when those things that are truly important in life are in some way threatened, or when they're temporarily taken from us, it's then that we appreciate most of all these gifts that we have. And sometimes it's not until they are taken for a time that we do appreciate them as they should be appreciated. And that's why in part God allows us to have in life those seasons of scarcity. That's why he allows us at times to have the seasons of hardship. In those times, like none other, we learn the value of those things that we otherwise would take for granted. And so it is that St. Paul says, in everything give thanks. He says, for this is the will of God concerning you in Christ Jesus, as we heard read earlier. And so also throughout the church and throughout the ages of the church and even the hardest of times, what do we sing liturgically? Sunday after Sunday, the church has been singing it through the worst of times in human history. Sunday after Sunday, liturgically, the church has sung and still continues to sing and will until the Lord Jesus comes again. It is truly good, right, and salutary that we should at all times and in all places give thanks unto you, Holy God, Almighty Father, everlasting God. To be sure, it's easy enough to thank God when times are good, but according to Scripture, it's equally needful for us to be thanking Him when times are grim. Yes, even when, as the prophet Habakkuk says in today's text, even when the fields fail, even then, I will exalt the Lord and I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. And note well the crops that he mentions in our text, the fruit of the vines that he mentions in the text, the produce of the field, the cattle in the stalls. These things all represent the essential necessities of the farmer and of life. They're not the extravagances. They're the, the ordinary things that were needed in that time. He's talking about the staples of life, their livelihood, their income, their sustenance, all that they needed to survive. They all had failed them. And Habakkuk, in his generation, wasn't the first or the last of God's people to, to be there and to experience the failing of so much. Think of Job. My days, Job at one point in his life said, my days are past, my plans appear torn apart, the wishes of my heart are gone. Or there was Moses. I alone, he says, I'm unable to carry the burden of all this people. It's simply too heavy for me, Lord. So if you're going to deal with me thus, then please take my life from me and spare me this wretchedness. 
And you could go on and on with biblical examples of those who had their tougher times. The psalmist, for example, said, My life is spent in sorrow, my years in sighing, my strength has failed because of the iniquity of my body, which has wasted me away. Elijah goes out into the desert and prays that the Lord might take his life from him. There are those times for all the people of God when times are tough. God's people of every time and every place have been there. The pilgrims were there on that first Thanksgiving day, most certainly. Those men and women of Plymouth Rock who'd suffered so much in the months preceding the first Thanksgiving Day, the death of nearly half, nearly half of their small colony in that first winter of 1621. No home was left untouched by horrible sickness. Every hut experienced the freezing cold and the snow-laden blasts of those terrible winter storms that they weren't used to. No house, indeed, in the entire colony had anything but a meager supply of food, and everyone, everyone in that colony had a relative or a friend who at least had lost one child, a brother, a sister, a parent. Everyone had lost a friend, everyone. And yet, when the first harvest arrived, after the next spring and summer, what did they gather to do? They gathered to give thanks unto the Lord. Well, not that there wasn't some discussion, there wasn't some debate about what they should be doing in that event. In fact, Ben Franklin writes, he says, there's a tradition that in the planting of New England, the first settlers met with many difficulties and hardships. So being a piously disposed people, he says, they sought relief from heaven by always laying their wants and their distresses before the Lord in frequent days of somber fasting, but constant meditation and discourse on these hard subjects kept their minds gloomy and they were discontented and then at length Benjamin says when it was promised to the assembly to proclaim yet another one of these solemn feasts a farmer of plain sense rose to his feet and he remarked that the inconveniences they had suffered and concerning which they had so often wearied heaven were not so great as they might have been and indeed appearing, appeared to be diminishing, and he thought, therefore, that it would be more becoming of the gratitude they owed God if instead of a solemn fast, they would proclaim a Thanksgiving feast. And that's what they did. And we had the first Thanksgiving day. I wonder if that farmer had by chance read the words of the prophet, the words of our text, in essence, even though the fields fail I will still exalt the Lord and rejoice in the God of my salvation. There's where, dear friends, the ultimate spirit of Thanksgiving Day is to be found, even when in the worst and in the hardest of life's times we would find ourselves crying out with St. Paul and saying, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? Even then, when the fields fail us personally, individually, even then we would find ourselves in a thankful spirit saying with St. Paul of old, thanks be unto God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because you see, there in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ is where the greatest blessing of God to man is ever to be found. That's where it's at, always there to remind you no matter how tough times are, there is where we see his love for us most clearly in that 
Christ and him crucified, God has demonstrated his love for you. And this, St. Paul says, that while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. With a sweeping stroke of the hand, God could remove the worst of life's obstacles from us. Makes no difference what they are. With the sweep of the hand, he could do it, even as he so often did in days of old, when with a mighty arm and an outstretched hand, he did exactly that, remove them. He could well supply us with all of our greatest physical and material needs, even as he did when he created all things and first called them into being and said, let there be. But you know something? Neither swipe of hand nor the fiat saying, let there be, would be able to cleanse you of your iniquity. God couldn't just simply talk it away. Neither swipe of hand or simple let there be could ever make our sinful souls pure and holy for all of eternity. That required the utmost of what God could give. That required what St. Paul was speaking of when he said, Thanks, thanks, Lord, thanks be unto you for your indescribable gift the gift of gifts that we celebrate and that we above all things thank God for on this Thanksgiving Day, the gift of gifts which is none other than his Son and our Savior Jesus Christ. God, my friend, spared not his own Son, but delivered him up for you all. How can you help but think then that God will also, as St. Paul says, surely supply you with everything else in life that you need. So you see, on this Thanksgiving day, on every day, we have so much for which to be grateful. So grateful. Even in these hard times. Even when the fields would fail us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.